I get to continue on the story of Abraham. You heard Stan last week sort of begin this story. And what's cool is I get to move to the kid parts of the story. Kids are defining moments in our life. And for Abram at this point, which is what his name is, these are defining moments in his life. And as I explored what we were going to be talking about here, it really floored me on checking myself on some things that I need to continue to walk with. And it's been an exciting journey for myself. And I I hope I'm excited for where we go together with this as well. We see it right away in Genesis 15. We see what kind of happens here in which we sort of know about the son of Isaac. We kind of know about him. He's the father of the Israelites and the the Israel nation. And it continues for years and years. We sort of know about um, Ishmael. He's the father of the Arab nations. So we know about that son that comes later. The one we don't talk about much is this first one, Eleazar. It's an heir that lives in the house with Abram. And what Abram's doing is he's saying, God, I know that you promised me this, this heir and this, this child that's going to continue the nation of Israel. And it's going to be this, this vast nation that you talk about. But I'm getting past the childbearing years and the promise hasn't come. How about... I let you off the hook. That's kind of what I, this is what I see him saying in his head. I let you off the hook. We can use Eleazar. He's in the house. He's the heir to the throne. We'll use that, and that will be fine. Basically, what he's saying to God, let's settle on Eleazar, because I'm not sure the promise that you've given me, I'm not sure that one's going to happen. So let's settle on this one. And we do this with God all the time. God has shown us over and over his promises. He has thousands of promises to us. When we pray to him, we feel the promises. When we read his word, we see the promises. And yet, we find ourselves settling, settling ourselves right out of the promises that he's given us. The promise of if you're young and you have a a mate that you're sort of knowing that God's going to bring in your life. You have this promise of who this person is going to be and the future that you're going to have together. And yet you kind of start to settle because someone comes along and you're all, well, he doesn't have some of these characteristics, but he's really good looking. And that was one of my promises, right? I'm just kidding. It's whatever it is. There's something in there that you're sort of settling on instead of waiting for the promise. We do it with family. We know what God has promised us in a family that is centered on Christ. But then time, our circumstances, your circumstances are different from others around you. And so we begin to settle on what my family is going to look like. It's going to be a little bit different than others. We settle on sin, certain sins in our life that we know that God's given us victory over. We settle because we say, I can get to these certain points, but I can't quite get all the way. So we settle and say, you know what? This is what God's allowed me to have victory over. Instead of taking the whole victory, we settle when it comes to our career choices. We settle with where we spend our time. We settle with just opening our Bible and saying, every day this will be part of my life. We settle because we can't quite reach the promise that we know God's given us. Why do we do that? Why do we settle? God comes back to Abram and says, Look up at the sky. Look at the universe. All of the stars that are above you. You see all those stars, and it was probably a very different day in which there wasn't lighting and whatnot. I kind of know that's the way it was. But 
You could look up and you would probably see the Milky Way and you would see more stars that we even see. And he says, look at those stars. Your generations to follow are going to be even greater than that. And it's going to come from you. Don't settle. See the promise that I have for you, Abram. See the promise in which I have given to you. Don't settle on this one. This is not the one. And then he makes them make a promise. He has them go and do a cut off all these animals and put it on a, sac- a sacrifice and, and sacrifice to God and make a promise that he will now understand that he's going to be used and he's going to follow up, follow through with what God has called him to be. For us, we need to see the promise again. We need to get back into our word, open it up, take a fresh grip of the Bible and say, this is the promise. I have heard through my, my prayers. I have heard through my walk. God has promised me things, and I'm not going to settle for less. And then make the promise back to him. This promise back, the word that's spoken of here is a covenant. We make a covenant with God. Our modern translation of this word is testament. Like the Old Testament and the New Testament, what he's saying to us is the covenant for us is as close as the Bible. When we open the Bible and we read what it says, our covenant, our promise is when our life begins to look like the pages of that book. When our life begins to be represented, we see it coming off the page. Our life begins to show who Christ is. Our promise, our covenant to God is that my life will be you. I will represent you. I will show who you are with my life. And that is my promise back to God. Why would we settle when we've gone through this series of stories? We've seen how he created the universe. We've seen how he brought us from the dust and breathed life into us. We've seen the faith of Noah to be in that boat seven days before rain falls, the faith that he must have had. And then we, we continue to go and we all the way up to our present day and see the elders and just their faith. Why would we settle for anything less? A lot of us struggle with settling, but the temptation that we fall into much more, especially in America, is that we will get it ourselves. I'll get it myself. This is Ishmael. This is the, the oddest story in the Bible in which Sarah comes to Abram and says, here's what I think you should do, because again, she's past childbearing. She knows about the promise. She says, Abram, I want you to go with my maid, Hagar. I want you to be with her, and that child will be the promised one from God. And Abram says yes, very quickly, which I find strange. Says yes. So he then has this audacity to go to God and say, God, look at what I did. Look at what I did for you. I did it myself. I made it happen. And God's going, no, no, you have missed my promise. And it's going to have devastating effects. You took a shortcut when I was working a plan that was going to be beautiful. If a shortcut in our life, when it comes to our faith, if we take a shortcut, but we reach the wrong destination for Christ, is that really a shortcut? All the men in the room would say, hey man, it's still a shortcut. 
It's always a shortcut. No, I'm just kidding. We have to be careful when we begin to take shortcuts. When it comes to our faith and what God is doing, he is working a promise. He is working a plan in our life. I am amazed that the God of the universe says to me, I want to have a personal relationship with you. But I see that on every page of the Bible. I see that he cares most that him and I get together constantly and have this relationship. But then to take it a step further, I am more amazed that he then says, you are part of my plan. Your story has purpose. I want to use you as you reach out and have a relationship with others. I want to use you in your technologies that you're using. I want to use you in the workplace that you're at, in the family and the community that you're in, the neighborhood that we spoke about last week. You are part of my plan. Your story has purpose. I am amazed as I read this and know that my God wants this type of relationship and this type of relationship coming out. Why am I taking shortcuts and trying to do it myself when God says, I want to use you to do great things? What is so awesome, and it sort of gives me comfort, is that God doesn't give up on these two, even with this great of a mistake. Because when you think about this mistake, Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. They're, the very thing that they were trying to do is create this incredible, beautiful, huge family. The very thing they were trying to do gets torn apart as two families are fighting. Isaac, the father of the Israel nations. There is an immediate strife. It's on the very next verses, an immediate fight that breaks out. These two groups of people are warring from this point on. In fact, it still continues to this day, as many of you know, as we are seeing that same fight play out, wars that we're brought into. Because of this mistake, this trying to get it myself. Where are you in this? Where do you find yourself? We have no idea that hundreds of thousands of years later that we're going to be reading a story and we're going to look to this story and Abram's going to be there with Sarah going, this is okay. It's a shortcut to our end. People are going to be reading about this for thousands of years, about how to find faith from this story. They're not thinking like that, that people are going to see them and try and gain faith from this experience. What if it had worked? Would we now look at the story and say, the way God started his, his, his generation of chosen people was through the, the maid? Is that how we're going to find faith? No, all of that's not thought about. All they are thinking about is that short-term, shortcut of a way to get to the promise that God had promised them. We have to be careful with the promises that we have been given and understand what God is doing here. He comes back to them and he says, I still love you. How comforting it is that he says he still loves them. Even this kind of mistake, I must... I must take this in and be like, if these two can do this and he still loves them, there's not much I can do in which he will stop loving me. He says, I love you and I still have chosen you. Your life still has purpose. And he gives him a new name. Abram, from this point on, you're going to be called Abraham. A new identity. He does the same for you and I. Ours is called Christian he says, from this point on, when you accept Christ, I now am giving you a new name, a new identity. It's Christian. Little Christ is what that means. 
your hands and feet, everything you do. I am going to work through your life. And he goes on and says, I'm going to give you a new command. This new command of my chosen people. The command for them was circumcision. We would have liked maybe like a tattoo. He's like, hey, how about a tattoo or something? A sword or a fish? But he says, no, it's going to be circumcision, which is a little more intense. But not something copied by a lot of people. So his chosen people, is are they going to do something to identify them so different, something not copied by those other nations around them? Both of them about identity. Both of them saying, these are the chosen ones. He comes to them and he says, this is my new command for you. I'm still going to use you. You're still going to get that promise. Sometimes it's asked about circumcision in our, our modern day society. There's something that uh, happens when Jesus Christ comes. He gives us so much grace, so much mercy. He also frees us in so many ways from things in the Old Testament. When he dies and he rises again, he then sends back his Holy Spirit. When he sends his Holy Spirit back, that comes inside of us, something they never got to experience in the Old Testament. When he comes inside, that is now your new identity. It's no longer something you do on the outside. You can still do it for history and just the tradition and even health. That's all fine. There's smarter people talking about it than me. But what he's saying is your new identity is me in you. No longer should it be something that you have to do, but rather everything that you do should be showing me. I should be seeing you representing me every single day because I, I live within you. You are little Christ. I have made you a Christian. I have given you a new identity and I'm within you. There should never be any doubt who you are who your God is, because you're a Christian, it should just be shown. We get to this point where we say, I'm not some guy on this earth trying to do good things for God. I'm trying to do good things for God. It sounds sort of nice, but we get to a different place in our thinking that God is working through me. And when God is working through me, there's no doubt that it's God. When I look at the Old Testament and I read a story like Noah. At the end of that story, the guys that got off the boat and they look over at Noah, they're probably not saying, man, look at what Noah did. Not at all. They're looking out and going, wow, I can't believe what God had just did through Noah. When you look at the end of the story, when you see Joshua and the Jericho walls have fallen to the ground, nobody says, Joshua, man, great game plan. I don't know how you did it. But wow, that was a really good plan. Nobody says that because the only thing that can explain that away is God. That God made the walls fall and then they moved forward. He wanted them to know that I was going to be at the beginning of taking over this new land. When you look at the end of the story of Jonah, nobody says, Jonah, man, you are an amazing evangelist. Quite the opposite. Everyone says, that guy was terrible. But look at what God did. God did it anyway. He reached all the Nineveh people. When you even continue through every single story, what God gets to is, I want them to see me through your life. We can go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. These guys are praying in the upper room, and it says the tongues of fire fall on them. And as these tongues of fire fall, they're able to speak every language. 
so that all of the people in the area are going, wow, they're speaking in my language, and thousands are coming to know Christ. And you know what they're saying? This Christ is different from anything I have seen before. They're not talking about the guys. In Acts 5, when you see this guy get beamed out of the center of a jail back to where they first arrested him, when you see that story take place, nobody says, man, David Copperfield is here early. They're saying, this God is different because they go to the jail cell and everything is locked up. There's no way for this to have happened except God. In Acts eight, no, Acts 6 and 7, we watch Stephen do the same thing as he's walking and doing miracles in the street. And everyone's like, this God is different. In Acts 8, we see these racial and ethnic barriers fall that have never fallen before. You continue on in Acts 12. These guys are praying for one of their, their missionaries in jail. And as they're praying for this missionary, an earthquake takes place. The walls open up the gates, and the chains start falling off their hands. I don't know how earthquakes make chains fall off, except for God. And they walk to the prayer meeting. They open the door, and the guy that opens the door closes immediately going, he's at the door. The guy that we were praying for is at the door. Only God could do something like that. We want to get to a place that God is doing the miracles. It's not, look at what God Look at what I can do for God, but look at what God is doing through me. No longer am I having to do it myself, make the miracles happen, make the promises happen, but rather, what is God doing? How is he doing things that only he could do? And we get to this point of Isaac in which we trust. I choose to trust you, Lord. Augustine was one of our early uh, church fathers, and he wrote this, the faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we do not believe. What happens next in the story is an angel comes to Sarah and Abraham, Abraham at this point and says, next year, the promise of the child is coming. And what we have to catch is that's 23 years later. 23 years, when we pray for these things and we feel like promises are coming, we're sort of like this. Okay, God, I prayed at least an hour ago. Where is this promise? But the stories in the Bible are nothing like that. 24 years later is when she finally has the baby. 24 years after the promise was given. And when this, this moment happens and this angel comes, she, she sort of laughs. She's like, what? And now you're going to give me this promise? Now that I cannot have children at all, and she laughs about it. And the angel says, why are you laughing? She's like, I'm not laughing. She lies. Her problem is not that she laughed. Her problem is that she lied. Because when we think about the things God can do, yeah, they're beyond our imagination. God, you want to use me there? (laughs) I can't believe that you'd want to use me there. I mean, if you knew me and my past and what I've been through, that's probably not where you want to send me. And we laugh, and God says, why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Oh, if that's what you want to do, we lie about it. We need to be okay with the fact that, yes, when it's a God thing, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than we can imagine. That's the kind of things we want to be involved in, things that are bigger than us. Trust in the things only God can do. But when we say trust, this this is where we have to be careful. Because a lot of us would probably say we trust. I trust in God. 
I trust in his plan. When we get to that place of trust, that's when he says, okay, you're ready. And he starts to take you to a new place, a test. And God isn't up there with some sort of grade sheet saying, all right, that was, well, you did okay. I'm going to give him an 85%. He doesn't do that kind of test. The only test that we see from God is when he says, I want you to move to a new level. There is this door that I need you to walk through. And many of us, we've been at those doors and we run from them. We see this test that's going to take us to a new level of growth in our relationship with Christ. And we run from it. I see it all the time where people are are running from the door and going somewhere else. Sometimes we move churches. Sometimes we make bad decisions. But we always get back to the same doors wherever we end up. And as we get to that door, God says, you're here again. This time, will you go through it? I want you to go through it because I have a new place for you to be. We have to trust in that because there's probably going to be a sacrifice in it. The test for Abraham was his son. He tells him, I need you to sacrifice your love of your life the son that you love. I need you to sacrifice this for me. And this is a great, great test for Abraham. But this is not the same guy that we're reading about at the beginning of this message. The guy that was wanting to settle. The guy that was trying to do it himself. The guy that we see here is much different. We see him rise up that next morning. Rise up and do it. He doesn't think about it. He has an immediate action to what this call and this test was for him. This is such a different guy from the one we read about. The guy here is the guy who trusts and has seen enough of God to say, God, I trust you. I have seen enough to know that you've got a plan. So there is an immediate action. The next morning, he gets up. It's a planned action. He's not trying to get out of it. He grabs the wood. He grabs the fire, or however that was. (laughs) Grabs whatever it was that lit the fire. Grabs a couple guys to help him. And bam, they're off. He's not trying to get out of this in any aspect. It's a continuous action. We see them go. It's three days journey and it takes them three days to get there. He's not taking the long way, hoping that somehow along the way, God will get him out of this. He's in a position of trust. This, he takes them to Mount Moriah. This, this mountain, it's so key in our history. This mountain uh, where he's going to take Isaac is the same mountain that David buys later as a threshing floor. A threshing floor is where they would take the harvest. Many of the, the banquets and the huge celebrations would happen right here on this mountain. This is a huge moment where many of the stories play out. And then it continues into our history. And today you can still go there, except there's a Muslim mosque on the top of it called the Dome of the Rock that's sitting in that spot. But there's an ending also with this same mountain that you can read about. This is where he takes them. For you and I, we know there's a little bit of foreshadowing that's happening. We know about the Christ story and how that one's going to play out. So we know there's much more going on. But for Abraham, it was a growth moment. And this is what people miss. Every nation that surrounded Abraham, they all had gods. And every one of those religions, in their religion, it was said that you were supposed to sacrifice one of your kids to the God if you really love that God. So he is not surprised 
when this comes down. He knows that that's what gods do. All the gods do that. So when he gets here and God stops him, he's saying, Abraham, I want you to understand something. I want you to know something about me and how different I am from all the other gods that you know. I want you to grow because you're about to start a nation of chosen people, and I want you to teach them something different about me, and that is that I created them, and I love them, and they're my masterpiece, and I'm going to use them in relationship with other people, and I care about them so deeply that later I'm going to send my own son so that he can die and take that sacrifice so that I can spend eternity with my people. He wants Abraham to know who he is. And I am not like any other God that you've ever seen before. Understand who I am so that as you begin this new walk with me, you'll be able to teach the people who I really am. It's a powerful moment. And because he trusted God, he got to experience the moment. And I bet it was a difficult moment. But at the end of it, he was never the same. We see a a guy that's nothing like the one from the beginning. He's at a place where he knows that God will provide. When we read about him later in Hebrews, we talk about him as a man of faith. But what is so interesting is you read about it right after it says that, he says, I just assumed doesn't say it like this. This is more my version of it. I just assume that you would resurrect my son. And it's a weird word that he would use there because he's never seen a resurrection. So that comes later in the Bible. He just isn't this point in his life knowing that God will provide. And if God's going to provide, then he must, he must bring my son back to life or he must be doing something else. Whatever it is, he just trusts God. What is something that God has called you to sacrifice? In our modern day society, sacrificing your children, probably not the way he's going to go. But he does call you to sacrifice. We hear the calls like this, where a guy or a girl has worked through school to get an incredible degree. And then they've worked up the ladder to be at the top of their field. And then we read this story of them at the top of their field go, I felt like God telling me to go work with orphans. So I gave up everything I knew, all the comforts of home, and I went to work with the orphans. And I sacrificed, and no one understood it around me. All my coworkers were very confused. It's the same story as Abraham's. It's just a different sacrifice of today the sacrifices of comfort and time and money. We have these kind of sacrifices that happen. It's the sacrifice where someone feels called to go to an unreached people group. We read these stories all the time. We know people that do these stories. Many of them die in that story. But that unreached people group, even in the death, we're seeing thousands of lives changed. The next group that goes in has so much victory. That first person in, what they must have felt, but they felt called and they were willing to sacrifice and they said, God will provide and they trusted. Some of us have been given that call. Some of your sacrifices is is it in time. It's going to be difficult, but are you at the position in which you can say, God is in control. He will provide. Some of you have to sacrifice financially. 
giving up things. Some of you need to sacrifice in the what you're going to do for the church. And I mean the body of the church all around the world. What has God called you to sacrifice? Are you at the point to trust him like this? I pray that we all are. Let's pray. God, I'm settling. I'm trying to do it on my own. Help me, Lord, to trust you better every day. Help me, Lord, to get to that place in which I will just trust you. And God, this story, as we look at it, we see the foreshadowing of a sacrifice of your son so that I could spend eternity with you, Lord. Help me never to take for granted that gift. And God, I pray for this this group of people. As we take those steps of faith, sometimes not knowing what the next step is, help us to be willing to sacrifice and to move forward and trust you. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.